Hey, everybody. Welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder and CEO of Black Spectacles. Uh, during our webinar today, we're going to be joined by a panel of female architects who are going to discuss the unique challenges women face in the architecture field. They'll share stories around, of obstacles they've overcome in licensure in their careers, as well as some action items for everyone um, that will help foster a more inclusive and equitable um, profession. Um, a couple of quick updates before we get started. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, Black Spectacles is the first ever uh, NCARB approved online test prep provider uh, for the ARE. We offer comprehensive test prep for the ARE with video lectures and practice exams, flashcards, and virtual workshops, all online with a uh, memberships available either for uh, individual architects, firms, AI chapters, or schools. You can head to blackspectacles.com and click ARE prep to find out more information about all of our ARE study materials. Um, we just uh, dropped a link in the chat as well. We're proud to say we're the first uh, test prep provider to offer an ARE guarantee. We're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you will pass the ARE. And if you don't, we're putting our money where our mouth is and paying for your retake. So to learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee, go to blackspectacles.com and uh, you'll find more information there. Also, just to note to everybody, uh, we've actually updated our construction and evaluation study materials to include a new streamlined video lecture format, which I think you're going to love, uh, new lecture slides, new study guides, and new quizzes. Um, the quizzes and study guides are definitely something uh, we've heard a lot of you request, so we're super happy to be uh, adding those to our catalog of resources for you. Um, you can learn more about that. Uh, if you're a member, you can log in and just check it out on your dashboard. Otherwise, we provided a blog post to sort of talk about that, um, which we're going to drop a link for uh, you as well. As I mentioned, we have group memberships. So if you want to learn more about how you can get your whole firm on a membership and have your boss pay for it, um, if you're a boss and you're listening, please cover your ears. Um, go to blackspectacles.com and head to our pricing section. Uh, our next session uh, for ARE Live will be on Thursday, January 20th of 2022 at noon central. We'll run through an exercise from one of our virtual workshops with our instructor, Marissa Yi. She'll review a project development and documentation exercise focused on the integration and documentation of building systems, material selection, and material assemblies for a project. Um, it's a really good opportunity to see how hands-on and in-depth our virtual workshops are and just great content to brush up your skills as you're preparing for that test. Uh, PDD tends to be one of the more complicated exams, um, so uh, certainly recommend uh, you guys take advantage of, uh, of that exercise. And lastly here, today we're going to be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community, so head over to that thread if you haven't already. Um, you can either click the link I just shared in the chat box, or you can go to, to our community homepage, uh, which is at community.blackspectacles.com, and look for a section called ARE Live on the left, and you'll find today's subject, and that's where our chat will be going on today. And if you post in that thread today, you'll be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. All you have to do is say hello. You don't even have to have a fancy question if you don't have one, um, and that'll uh, make you eligible uh, for a free t-shirt. Just dropped a link in the uh, the chat box for that as well. Whew. All right, now let's get serious. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, the three amazing women joining us on this panel today. Uh, first, we have uh, Jennifer Park. Jen is a principal at Brennan Sewell and Lynch. She previously served on AI Chicago's board of directors as the vice president of honors and awards, and is one of the founding members of AI Chicago's equity diversity an inclusion committee, which I believe you can um, learn more about if you go to aiachicago.org. 
Um, so welcome, Jen. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, also with us today is Elizabeth Schneider. Some of you may know Liz from her previous work with Black Spectacles as a virtual workshop instructor. Currently, Liz is an associate at Getch Partners and is the founder of the Getch Partners Women's Group. Liz is also the vice president of Chicago Women in Architecture, also known as CWA. And for more information on CWA, check out CWARCH.org. Uh, Welcome, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me. And last but not least, we have Alicia Ponce, the founder and principal of AP Monarch, a Chicago-based female and Latina-owned architecture firm. She's also the founder and chair of Architina, a national nonprofit organization supporting Latina architects and the author of the book, Latinas in Architecture. And to find, uh, find out more about Arcatina, head to arcatina.org, A-R-Q-U-I-T-I-N-A.org. We'll drop these links in the chat as well. Uh, but with that, welcome, Alicia. Thank you, Mark. And it's a pleasure to be here with fellow panelists, Jen and Liz. Indeed. All right, well, let's get to it here. So uh, let's hop to um, our first slide here and sort of the first question, and maybe just to kind of get everybody a little bit oriented about who everybody is. Jen, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and just for reference, uh, when you became licensed? Uh, sure, a little bit of my background. Um, uh, let's see here. Well, right now, if I work backwards, let's see here. Uh, I'm a principal at Principal Lynch, so I've been in Chicago for the past, oh no, 11, 12 years, I guess. Um, previous to that, you know, I was, uh, let's see, uh, spent some time in New York, in LA. I did my undergrad and at Columbia, I did my graduate school work at UCLA. Uh, I uh, moved back to New York uh, from one of my first jobs um, after grad school and then uh, spent some time in Virginia, <clears throat> which is actually where my licensure story starts. Mm -hmm. um, and then headed to Chicago from there. Uh, and so in that same time, uh, I started teaching. So it's kind of my dual role is uh, I both practice and I'm both a professor. And so now I teach at IIT and run their second year program there. So um, should I talk a little bit about when I became licensed and that, that story there? Yeah, yeah. And what year did you get licensed, roughly? So... Uh, been 11 years 12 years what is that back so 2010 or 9 or 10 yeah okay like that. <clears throat> um and um you know it's interesting so like uh I, I would say that that was a little bit late you know in terms of how uh, uh people are, are how, how quickly people are getting licensed these days sure. um, and i think that's a bit of a product of when well time maybe and when i started uh working in the professional world and and the ethos of the let's say city of new york and um really when i started there right after grad school and there was not <clears throat> it wasn't um there wasn't a whole lot of like impetus or people like around me that were saying yeah you got to get licensed mm -hmm. um and i think you know, there the mentality was really, okay, well, you know, unless you own a firm or you're going to start your own practice, like, you don't really need to get licensed. You don't need that, you know, stamp, let's say. Sure. And 
um, but you know, there were people in in our office that were 10 plus years out or whatever, still, you know, hadn't started to take their exams. But then I made a move to Virginia, to Richmond, Virginia, and it was like a 180 difference. And people there really valued uh, your architecture license and um, and they thought it was important for a young architect to have those credentials. Everyone around me uh, as a young architect was <clears throat> talking about you know, studying and um, I think that's when I started to study for my exams. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, you know, very different. And I think some of that here also now that I see it in Chicago mm -hmm. is, is kind of that also, like it's a little bit more important here. Uh, there's a little bit more value placed on it here than I felt like there was when I was in New York at least. Maybe times have changed, or uh, culture, culture has changed in New York, or something. But um, here, I think it, you know, it is. There's a there's a value placed to it, a merit placed to it. Um, it's kind of an it's it's an achievement for sure, right? But um, it, it kind of for me as a young architect didn't hit me until more people around me were, you know, um, and and the culture around me was kind right. of. Nancy mode. Yeah, makes sense. That's perfect, Jen. Uh, Liz, how about you? Tell me a little bit about your background and, and when you became licensed. Sure, yeah. I, um, I'm from Ohio originally, so I went to school at two Ohio universities. I went to Kent State for my undergraduate degree, and I went to Ohio State for my graduate degree. I graduated in 2013 with my graduate degree. And I received an offer for a job out in Connecticut in New Haven. And I worked there for about four years. And it was while I was working in Connecticut that I started my licensure process. So around 2014, about a year out of grad school. So it was pretty early in my career. Um, I've only been working for eight years, so I still feel like I'm very like early in my career in general. But I started the licensure process pretty early on. Um, and in the middle of that, I moved uh, to Chicago. So was, I, I think I had like four of, at the time they had seven exams. I had four of the seven done when I moved. Uh, so I had to take a little bit of a break and I finished up uh, with all seven exams and uh, received my license in 2017. Uh, just before I started working at my current job, uh, where I've now been for four years. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Liz. Alicia, how about you? Uh, tell me a little bit about your background and where you when you became licensed. Yeah, of course. So unlike Jen and Liz, I was born and raised here in Chicago, and I've stayed here in Chicago. Um, and I always like to say your journey is your journey. You know, I like to compare it to yoga where you are is that's okay um, because everybody has different experiences and I've had to learn to embrace my own experience um, I um, just like Jen mentioned there was really no one kind of looking out and asking are you going to get your license or what are you thinking about that there was there wasn't a, a 
a mentor with that intent to get my license. But it was something that I've always wanted to do as a kid. Um, I was six years old, but I didn't necessarily know the steps to take it, to take the licensing, um, how to become a licensed architect. But I, be I finally became licensed, um, you know, in 2016 after, um, it was a 15 year journey for me oh. and and you know you start exams and you stop them and that's why i applaud liz for you know doing it so quickly but um you know life happens too and there's also the the expense of the exams and lack of mentorship and um you know all of a combination of things and taking it seriously you know mm -hmm. um so but finally did it and the path to licensure was um different for me as it is for many people but mm -hmm. was finally able to to do that and um it you know I, I always like to think about that scene in wizard of oz um at the very end when the when the wizard gives the scarecrow the diploma yeah. and you you now have a phd and all of a sudden the scarecrow is like the sum of the sides of the isosceles triangle is you know <laughs> like he yeah. became just because he had that you know phd all of a sudden he was smart he had a brain the whole time and that's right. how i felt when i got the piece of paper i'm like oh my god i am an architect i know all this stuff that's awesome <laughs> so, um yeah where your, well, your journey is your journey, embrace it. Indeed, uh, it, going to the next slide, Alicia, let's stay with you um, and maybe expand a little bit more on that. Uh, as a woman on your journey to licensure, what are some of the challenges you faced? Yeah, so, I mean, I always like to look at, you know, the reason, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but why I started the nonprofit Architino, because I just look at my own experience, um, my personal experience of where, uh, what the challenges are as a woman and as a, as a Latina, um, you know, for me, it was started in, in high school looking for colleges, right, in a, in a good architecture program where my, you know, my counselors, they told me that the university would be too hard for me, you know? And so I wasn't necessarily encouraged to go into a university and um, I was handed applications for our community colleges. And so I th I think about that, not, not to say that community colleges are bad, but they wouldn't give me an application. This was before um, internet, right? There were paper applications and you had to fill them out. Um, and so, that experience just really sticks with me and because I think about how many people, students, did, did they do that to? And they said, okay, you're right, I'm not smart enough, but I still did it anyway. And, um, you know, you have to find those mentors along the way. There's going to be lots of no's um, along the way. And you have to use that to build yourself up and say, you know what, I can do this. If you believe in yourself, um, you can do it. And there were other, you know, adversities along the way, you know, in college and, you know, going, you know, working in a, in a firm and meeting women who kind of wanted to sway me away from architecture because they, they didn't, they weren't, 
advancing, you know, as associates or senior associates, no matter how many years they were there. And, you know, they kindly try to sway me into other professions or hiding the fact that you have children. You know, I, I met some women that would not say they had children because they thought it would hurt their career. So wow. there's a combination of, of things that, you know, others don't necessarily realize that that happened to us. Wow. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Alicia. Uh, Jen, how about you? What are some of the challenges you faced um, on your journey to licensure? Yeah, I mean, I would echo some of what Alicia said as well. And I think mine, you know, at the, at the roots of it, you know, are <clears throat> that um, when I was a young architect and um, I think, you know, not being taken seriously was a big thing, you know? Um, and uh, to me, you know, I would, uh, I definitely felt, and I, you know, I think this is true, like throughout my, my life really is um, that I was always seen as a small Asian woman, right? And that what kind of, you know, power does this person really wield, you know? And so um, I, and, and I've had to face that and confront that in different ways. And I think that the same thing, you know, certainly happened uh, early in my career. And I remember, I remember in particular <clears throat> when I was finally like, uh, you know, kind of leading a CA process on one of the projects that was out in New York. And uh, I got to, you know, go out to the job site and I was on my own this time, no PM, you know, holding my hand or anything like that, no senior PA leading the way. And I was, I was, you know, I was so excited to do that, right? I was a very, and, you know, I didn't really have apprehensions and I wasn't really nervous necessarily. But then you go out there and it was, you know, me, this small young Asian woman, I guess, out there talking to like these kind of um, brutish kind of New York contractors. And um, I, you know, there was definitely that first, the first few moments of the conversations where everything I did was questioned, right? Everything. And it was just so more than anything, not just kind of trying to see if they could thwart, you know, my authority or, or undermine, you know, my, you know, um, my, you know, my stance on things. And all I did was stick to the facts. I knew what I drew. I knew the design. I knew what I was, you know, delivering there. I knew what I had to do, right? And so I just stuck to that. And, you know, it was kind of like a very simple kind of moment of uh, aha moment where they were like, oh, where's this detail? I don't, I've never seen this, blah, blah, blah. And I just pull out the drawings and, da, 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 you know, so. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the conversation changed and the whole meeting kind of changed. Um, so, you know, maybe from that, I realized you just have to rely on your experience, rely on your know, know how, you know, and confidence isn't something that you just fake necessarily. I think it's really rooted um, in, um, in, in your knowledge, right? And what you deliver, and you, um, relying on your own skills and talents. And so um, I would say, you know, that's, you know, there's part of it for me is uh, the challenge of, overcoming many of those instances uh, and learning from them. Uh, and also, I think Alicia mentioned this before, but like, uh, you know, it's a kind of like finding your own voice through all of that too, 
right? Mm -hmm. I had to find my own voice. I had to find, and in other conversations, I have to find the way that I want to deliver the message, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think sometimes uh, we as women might want to emulate what our male peers are doing, um, but I don't necessarily think that that is the only way or the way to go. I think, you know, we as women deal with things differently. And I think uh, that can be, um, you know, our voice in, in that way and our perspectives uh, should be heard and can be heard. And I think we're, you know, getting better at that. But um, yeah, I think that's something that I've had to learn along the yeah. way. I love that finding your own voice and uh, and sort of yeah the the journey uh, to figure that out um, that's awesome uh, Liz how about you uh, what has your experience been around challenges on your journey to licensure Yeah I think similarly to Jen and Alicia um, for me it really was like the catalyst for for getting licensed as young and early as I did was this desire to kind of have a, a little bit more credibility uh, behind my name and the work that I was doing um, to gain a little bit of confidence that yes, I, I am an architect, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, I don't, I think a lot of young architects feel that pressure. Um, but I also think some of the challenges are around the community of people that you are, you know, in when you're working towards your license. I mm -hmm. think having encouragement, like Alicia said, from mentors, but also your peers is really important. And um, I know I had some really crucial study buddies early on um, that really like we we would study together and kind of help motivate each other to continue with the exams and everything but you know when when you're a woman in architecture and there aren't as many women in the profession with you you don't always have those female peers to turn to or those female mentors. And it, it can make finding that community just a little bit harder um, as you're going through the process. Well, hopefully we can help solve that uh, to a degree. I think that's a great, um, mm -hmm. a great call out, Liz. Um, if we move on to our next slide here, um, and let's stay with you, Liz, um, speaking specifically to, to sort of the path to licensure. Um, what's something you wish, you know, like what's what's one thing you wished you'd known when you began your journey for licensure? I think kind of continuing what I was saying about community, I think I didn't realize at the time when I was going through the process how important that community was and how important the resources in your own office are. Um, there are so many different topics for these exams, a large variety of things, and, and things that as a young architect, I didn't have a lot of experience working in. Mm -hmm. But looking back now, I mean, it seems obvious to me that there, there were people in my office who had a lot of experience working on things, whether it was contracts or um, other other um, aspects of running an architecture firm, things that I, at my age and experience level, hadn't had any experience with, but mm -hmm. people who had spent years and maybe even decades working on that kind of stuff. Um, so knowing that you have those resources 
in mm-hmm. other people's experiences, I think is huge. And it's something I wish I had tapped into a little bit more when I was studying and going through that process. Yeah, that's a really good one. Thank you, Liz. Alicia, how about you? What's something you wish you've known uh, before you began your uh, licensure journey? Well, everything that Liz said, I agree with. And going back to just trusting your voice and that it's very empowering when you're going through this journey. Um, You know, it's intimidating going through the licensure process Um, to anyone. I think it's just a, a big, a big step, a big time commitment, but really trusting that that you can do it mm-hmm. um, knowing that um, for me too, it was, I, I just, I still think about why, you know, why it took me such a strange, strange steps to get here, but it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I got here, I crossed that line. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was just getting informed with the appropriate steps, the appropriate degree you need to take, um, getting informed with the NCARB, um, just reading it and being very familiar with the steps so that, you know, it doesn't delay the process any longer. You know, just knowing knowing the steps and asking those questions. I love that. Um... And I'm waiting for one of you to say the thing you wish you knew. We're all the answers to the que- to the test. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose we all, we all did. Um, I love this. Uh, thank you, Alicia. Uh, uh, Jen, how about you? Um, what's the one thing you wish you knew going into the exams? Okay. Well, one thing of many things that I wish, but is that I wish I knew the exams were going to condense because when I started, there were nine, and yeah, me when too. I and when I finished, there were seven, and now there's six. So, yeah. um, and I had to retake one, you know, like kind of retake one of them because it was in that transitional period. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I thought I passed this, and then you're like, no. Um, but, you know, in all, in all honesty, I think um, certainly um, the community, I think, is important, as Liz and uh, Alicia have said. Uh, but I also, I would say, and, and I think Liz touched on this, is like kind of don't, I, I would say that I, I wish that I would have relied a little bit more on my experience in the office and the project, like learning, you know, the actual, like, you know, being in the weeds of things um, and getting the actual experience. I, for the exams that I did take um, that were closest to these phases of work that I was just finishing, like they were, they were easy, you know, and sort of easy, but easier. And, um, and then, but, you know, I kind of very quickly kind of, um, you know, check the box for all the other things that are on that list of AXP stuff. And so that I could, you know, get, get to taking my exam and I kind of feel like, um, had I kind of harnessed those moments of like really, or and even asking for the right opportunities in the office to, so that I could more easily take these exams, I think that would have been um, helpful, you know, because maybe I would have spent less time trying to learn it through the books, right? And kind of could have just understood it. And even learning from the books, it was hard, you know, kind of, uh, sometimes it's always hard to understand these abstract thoughts, right? For sure. um, when you're in there and 
in the field and actually doing it or going through these phases of works and working with consultants and things like that like it you know those things and in, in out in the field that really matter so yeah what was the roadblock jen um you mentioned you know getting that experience um you know in the office that you were in what was the roadblock that you experienced that sort of you know didn't make that possible or yeah, no, I, I think this is why maybe it took me a little bit longer to start. I, well, maybe it, that was a benefit, though, um, was, you know, and I think I hear this a lot from some of the um, young architects taking their exams now or, or thinking about that is, you know, architecture is not a short and quick in and out process. These projects, you know, we're in the built environment it takes uh you know years to build some of these projects right so if you get staffed on like a project with a really long you know you know uh, length of project lifetime then you know how long do you have to wait until you get your ca experience right it's yeah, like right and that's so hard it's like they're like oh, i really wish i could get more ca experience and uh, I'm, I'm so close to all this other stuff and it was just like waiting for that you know and I, I do think that that was some of the, you know, why it took me a while to kind of start uh, or finish rather too, you know, it's just like, um, but. Yeah, that's one of the things like I wanted to add um, the become, you know, working for a firm and then becoming a firm owner and just seeing the value of, um, you know, having licensed architects in your firm, right? You can only, you can then take that to your clients, say, you know, my my staff is is licensed or on their way to get licensure. It just, it's so much more reputable. It means that there's a good culture there. So I'm not sure like why, you know, or, you know, what the reasons are in some firms that they do stick you when you're at the very beginning of your architectural profession. If you get on those projects with the long lead times and you get stuck doing, you know, one thing for several months, it becomes hard to collect those hours. Yeah. Um, really good stuff. Thank you. Uh, thank you both there. Uh, let's go to our next question here. Let's talk a little bit about mentoring. Uh, Jen, I'm going to stay with you here. Um, tell me about, you know, a time when you benefited from positive mentorship in your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, um, and I, I would say, certainly for me, I mean, uh, at a Oh, I guess I've had many kind of critical junctures in here and there, but one of them I remember when I really started to kind of try to reach out to different folks that I, you know, that I, um, you know, were making new connections with, let's say, was when I started my own practice. Sorry if you hear the sirens in the background. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, that that was a, an, an arena that I was going to step into that I didn't know it that I knew very little about, right? I, and so I, I had reached out to all a bunch of folks um, that I knew I'd done it before and to understand what I would be up against, right? To understand the the pros, the cons. And even along the way, when I was in, in those discussions, it was about kind of reaffirming my goals, right? Like, what did I really want to get out of this? Um, and what I think I valued from those conversations was not um, 
just like a pat on the back and a like go get them kind of thing, right? But my mentors were real with me. They they you know gave me the upside, but they gave me the downside, you know. And that's mm-hmm. what you need from somebody, I think, that you you want guidance from. And I think you know for those people seeking mentors, I also think that's in, this question is interesting because um, I you know. I don't know when we started like really honing in on this uh, this term mentors or mentorship because I I find that it's very formal, and um, I I think that it because of that sense, you know, we maybe at least for me it was like ooh I don't have any mentors I, I don't know because I thought it was like this very formal process of something it is but you know it's not it's just go find, you know, a a wise old friend, right? (laughs) To help you, (laughs) give you some, you know, wisdom, share their experiences with you, you know, and find somebody that you think, you know, uh, you admire or you you see yourself in or see a part of yourself in or or landed somewhere that you want to land, right? Reach out and, you know, it's it's really a casual thing. It's a a friendship. It's somebody that's going to tell you how it is. Um, that's going to be open and honest with you. And, uh, you know, and I would say most people are uh, quite flattered when somebody does reach out to them. And, and um, so don't think that it's, you know, if you're worried about or nervous about reaching out to somebody, you know, I, I can tell you on the flip side of things, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm flattered by it. I'm, I'm happy to like have connected with a lot of people uh, learn about their stories and lend whatever wisdom or random stories that I might have to give, you know, as it's long as they want to learn. Inboxes uh, blowing up right now. <laughs> I know, right? Did I just, just, I just invite everybody to be my, my, uh, I, think so. so that I can be their wise old friend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But yeah, but I kind of continuing what Jen was saying, like I, I did the, I did reach out to Jen and I, you know, asked her to be on um, a panel series that I put on for my office. And mm-hmm. I think through that process, uh, and, and Alicia too, they were both panelists for me. And I think through that whole process of putting on these panel discussions, I was constantly surprised um, and maybe shouldn't have been, but always surprised at um everybody willing to to help out and lend their advice and participate and how many yeses I got. I got very few no's when I was doing this and that was something I hadn't really anticipated. So like what Jen was saying about don't be afraid to ask, like I've been really learning that over the past two years of like how how important that really is to just ask the question, ask for somebody's advice, ask for them to participate in something with you. And I've I've gained a lot of really good relationships out of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, great advice. That's great advice. Uh, Alicia, how about you? Um, how about uh, uh, maybe share a story of a time when you benefited from positive mentorship? Yeah, well, there's been many examples. um, And I like to talk about my very first, you know, bosses when I was, although I shared that story of that woman, you know, trying to sway me, I did have 
other bosses who remain close to this day, you know, 20 plus years later, you know, I can call them, email and text them and, and um, they have, they, we, we've just stayed close, right? And you just yeah. never know. It's a two-way street. Mentorship is a two-way street for sure. Um, yeah. Sometimes that person is really busy or you're really busy, but you have to just remember that it's, it's an open door, right? And so yeah. when previously they were my bosses and then when I started my practice, they've, get, they've given me opportunities to work with them, you know, to collaborate with them on projects. So, and that means, that means a lot, you know, in, in this, in this field. I agree. I think that's awesome. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, I'm going to, uh, let's go to question six, because I think we kind of covered question five uh, earlier. Um, and Liz, let's start with you here. What would you like to see change for women uh, in architecture in the future? Sure. Well, I think the biggest thing, um, it for me at least, is to just get the numbers up. And for me, that's not just about um, seeing equal numbers, but I think that having more women in architecture just really leads to flexibility and freedom for the rest of us and those, you know, looking to join the profession. When you start to see all the different possible paths for yourself, um, it really opens up the possibilities. And it doesn't mean that you have to follow one of the paths that already exists, but it gives you, you know, choices and, and things to look at and different avenues to explore. And it's harder to do when you, you look at the top of uh, the industry and you look at the leaders and there's only a handful of examples and you're kind of charting your own path in a lot of ways. Um, so, so having more people, more women in those roles just gives you more examples and more freedom to, to follow somebody else's path or maybe it makes part of your path a little bit easier. Um, it doesn't mean you have to follow theirs exactly, but it gives, it gives you more um, possibilities, I think. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a problem more around maybe more or equally, I guess is sort of my question around um, sort of uh, attracting more uh, women um, at, you know, in uh, high school or you know, even in grade school into sort of the profession. So sort of like increasing the pipeline of women um, in the architecture field or more of once the women are, once women are in, um, in the profession and practicing, um, you know, perhaps, you know, they're, they're not staying, uh, staying I around as long. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think the problem is more on um, that, you know, once women are in the field and practicing, we're, we're seeing more women leave um, than you see men leave the profession. You know, right now, I think architecture schools are graduating pretty close to 50-50, okay. but you're not seeing those same numbers when you look at architecture firms, especially as you start moving up into uh, the leadership positions of those firms. And that ha has, you know, to do with some somewhat with time, right? Like, um, you know, it's a process for all of the, the women who are graduating now to work their way up in the profession. But it, it also um, points to a lot of women who leave for various reasons. 
Do you mind if I jump in? Yes, please do. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I would just back all of that. I would say that, you know, the pipeline, interestingly, you know, for females is is still, I mean, if you look at IIT, it's 50-50 where I teach, right? If not more women, actually, yeah. in the undergraduate program. Um, now, you know, racial diversity is a very different story. The pipeline, I think, needs still a lot of working there. Yep. So I would say, though, the issue is, as you know, is the kind of pinch points people are calling them, you know, along the career as they as progressing up and those pinch points need to be alleviated by uh changes in in policy and office and and um strategies to enable you know uh, a continuation you know throughout one's career that you know we're starting to see in some offices but you know i think if you if you really i mean i think the the work that we're all doing um these ladies and i are doing in in our different, you know, arenas for EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion, that, that's, you know, it's taking, it's making everybody look, in, you know, introspectively at their offices, their practices, their policies. Um, and are we allowing, you know, that um, women to kind of succeed, or are we hindering that because we don't give them proper family leave, right? Or are we, uh, you know, hindering that because, you know, we, we don't give them, uh, you know, we're not equally you know, paying, you know, men and women still, right? So, um, yeah, I think we have yet to see the fruits of some of these changes that are happening now, but I think, you know, that that change happens with changes in, in the way that we structure our firms and how, you know, the things that we allow for, right? Um, Jen, this is really helpful. Um, are there, I mean, you sort of touched on two, but um, are there one or two um, examples that you've encountered um, uh, that are successful in, let's say, alleviating some of these, um, some of the uh, the bigger uh, pinch points you just mentioned. You you referred to uh, family leave. You mentioned yeah, equal pay. Um, are there specific examples that you've like? Oh yeah, yeah. We, uh, I'm aware of this, or in our firm, or or whatever. We did this one thing, and it's having a really positive impact on alleviating uh, one of these pinch points. And I, I'm asking mostly uh, because if people hear these sort of ideas, you know, perhaps they can um, grab them and, and implement them in their office. Yeah, you know, I mean, I gotta say family leave was a big thing in our office. Like, um, uh, I think being an office that started 30 years ago uh, with two partners and they're seeing the change in the culture, uh, you know, it was like when that shift happened, like honestly like the women in the office were like oh my gosh wow i didn't know that this would happen and i was like so relieved you know because yeah. they're young women actually and um uh in fact we had somebody who just you know had a, a beautiful baby boy in the office and it was great you know it was she needed and deserved the time off right and um and we didn't have that before it was kind of like this weird uns uh, you know assumption that like not that like we put it this way i think a lot of the times we just don't take a hard enough look at um what policies kind of carry over from one year to the next to the next to the next right mm -hmm. um and it's not like it's it was an intentional thing that we were like um that that we didn't have that it just was like oh small practice mentality you know we don't know how much we can offer and this this that and the other right and that and then until it was like hey 
you know, uh, you know, like kind of let's let's actually take a hard look at this, right? So I I want to say some of it is not so intentional. Uh, it's just old habits, right? Yeah. And so, but I would I would urge all firms um, and firm owners to you know take the time to open up their guidelines or their benefit package and stuff and really see and assess whether you know you're actually putting up roadblocks that you don't know about yeah i appreciate that jen alicia what are your thoughts on this uh, what would you like to see change for women in in the field of architecture well spot on what jen and liz has said it's you know family policies right and family and um equal pay you know the wage gap I think it's slowly changing from when I started 20 plus years ago, but you know, on average women, it's um, about 84 cents to the dollar to our male counterparts. And if you look at um, Latinas, it's 54 cents to the dollar. So you wonder yeah. why is that? And it's and as women, we are seen as the caretakers of our, whether it's our children or our, elderly parents um there just has to be more supportive uh policies for that um and i think we've we've definitely got a glimpse of what family is during our the pandemic and many of the zoom calls right with kids popping up and <laughs> in the back screens and and you know that's life right we're we're architects but we're also people and so we have to be conscious of 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 our life and um, make sure that as architects, we're taking care of ourselves. So, and yeah. I just think it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, we should have those uh, benefits. I agree, thank you, uh, Alicia. Let's go to our last slide here. And again, I like to make, uh, you know, sort of think uh, from a perspective of action and what are things folks can sort of take from this conversation and go do and perhaps um, uh, you know perhaps you know the three of you who have acted in and in your specific ways you know can be sort of inspiring um, to the folks who are tuning in so can you uh, Jen let's start with you um, can you talk about a contribution that you've made to equality in the field of architecture um, that maybe could you know uh, provoke or inspire um, you know someone who's listening to to act as well well, I would chime in from two sides because it's kind of two sides of my career, which is the teaching side and the professional side. Um, I mean, I think you've heard a little bit about the professional side. You know, I've worked on a few committees um, and I'm on a committee both at school, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and, you know, I've, I've um, you know, helped out and helped to lead the AIA EDI committee. And those things are all great. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, the one thing I would say is like, if you're gonna join a committee, like really, you know, do it, you know, treat it like a job as, you know, things really aren't gonna get done if you just sit and talk on the phone all the time. Um, so that takes time and effort and everything if you're gonna to be in this, um, go down this path of trying to make change towards equity, and uh, diversity and inclusion, it, it takes time and it takes real effort. Um, and, you know, we don't want to just give it lip service. But so that side, you know, I'm certainly proud of what we've started and, and kind of, uh, like I said, having people look inwards at their own practices 
Um, but on the teaching side, you know, I, one of the big things that I've been trying to implement um, and get other, you know, other professors to do throughout the college, and I think we've had some success in this, is something as, as easy as like, well, seemingly easy, but not actually, um, uh, which is, you know, have an appropriate reflection um, in the teachers and the jurors and the critics and the lecturers that we invite. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think, uh, especially young, you know, students, and I've heard this from several young female students, um, aspiring architects, which is like how important it is for them to see themselves in somebody else, right? And in school, your professors and the people that are talking to you, right, and teaching you, as well as the lecturers and the, and the jurors, right? Um, they're who they see all the time. They're who they're gonna look up to. And um, it's very easy in, in to invite um, jurors that, um, yeah, there are plenty of wonderful, you know, talented architects out there that we can invite. Um, but I think if their class is 50-50, at the very least, of uh, men and women, you know, we want to show them that the future can be 50-50, mm -hmm. right, and balanced. And that kind of reflection falls on us as professors and how we curate and who we invite to our juries. It's hard, it's, it's easy in a sense, but it's hard because we currently, you know, still don't have a balance <laughs> of men and women in the field, right? And so, um, and the women that are, are doing great things are, you know, they're double timing, triple timing their efforts, right? That's just the state of things now. And so for them, you know, you, you know we, we've got a very limited pool, but I think that's really important. Um, and I think you could carry that uh, thought into you know any any kind of mentorship conversation as well like who are we putting up there to talk to our young architects who are we putting up there to kind of represent right what the future could be so I think those those things you know are are things that I'm working on and I uh, want to say that um, uh, I think the other half of this was what, what could you know um, listeners contribute to, you know, I think yeah. we've said this maybe before, but don't be afraid to ask for, let's say, better representation or voice of concern in your policy or your staffing. Um, I think you'll, you know, by asking the questions, you know, maybe you get the answer you want, maybe you don't, but at the same time, you'll be able to really tell a lot about the values of a firm or organization, I think, in their response to that, right? So. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Liz, how about you? Um, uh, yeah. Share a contribution you've made that might, you know, inspire other folks to act as well. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things I'm I'm proudest of is I mentioned before the panel discussions that I started at the beginning of 2020. Um, so over the past two years, I've had eight panel discussions featuring different women leaders in our industry. Um, to me, what's been so important about these panel discussions, particularly for my office is, we're an office that doesn't have a lot of women in general um, and very few at, at the top of the firm. And so it was really important to me, uh, for myself and for others in the office to 
be able to come to these discussions and and listen to a group of women leaders talk about uh, topics like equity in architecture and family leave and mentorship and how that's important to um, creating a more equitable firm. Um, but it, it allowed my office to start to have these conversations a little bit more openly, but also at the same time showing examples of what women leaders look like which I thought was important, not only for the women like me in my office who don't have a lot of examples to draw from, mm -hmm. but also for the men who are currently leading the office to show them how, how having women in leadership could really benefit them and what that could mean for us as, as an office. And so we've, you know, we're very early on in this. We've only been doing this for two years and, now the the hard part i think really starts which is okay we've had all these conversations and what does that mean policy wise or or how do we put some of the things that we've talked about into action um but i think having that community that's been created from these panels has been really really important and, and inspiring for me to see and hear all of the advice um and kind of similarly with my work with CWA, mm -hmm. um, that com community has been just as important. So CWA, for those who don't know, is a completely volunteer-led organization that was started in 1974. I believe it's the oldest women in architecture organization in the country, or if not very close to. Mm -hmm. And uh, our goal for that is really to provide support for women at all stages of their career. Um, so for me, I was really drawn to it to tap into that network and kind of expand my network. And But in addition to the network of women that you can meet being a part of CWA, we do offer scholarships for students. We're looking at offering more funding for ARE incentives and things like that. So we're really trying hard to, to bring support to women um, as they're trying to work through their and advance their careers. So if people are looking to contribute, they can um, get involved in CWA. And it's a starting point at the very least. Yeah, I love it. Um, and Liz, remind me, uh, CWA is, um, is uh, um, I believe the one that uh, you're a part of is the Chicago chapter of it. Can you sort of help me understand? That's one question I've, I've had for a while is the sort of the national nature of, of CWA. Are there different chapters? Is there sort of um, uh, one uh, kind of national component? Can you Sort of sure. So, so CWA is a Chicago-based organization, completely Chicago-based, uh, Chicago Women in Architecture, but we also have a foundation. So CWA is a 501c6, and CWAF is a 501c3. Okay. So a little bit different than the tax code, um, but we, we work together quite a bit um, to provide different resources. There are other organizations that are more national. One that I think we just uh, had open a chapter in Chicago is Professional Women in Construction, mm -hmm. uh, PWC. And they have a lot of chapters out on the East Coast. I think New York, Boston, Philadelphia, maybe a few more. Um, 
And so they're one, if if you're not in the Chicago area, to look, look into. And also a lot of uh, AIA chapters have women in architecture organizations that you can look into uh, joining as well. Got it. I think that really helps because I know we have a national audience, so I just wanted to kind of yeah, absolutely. Sure had some some uh, had that sort of pinned down, so that's super helpful. Alicia, how about you? Um, tell us about a contribution uh, to equality in the field of architecture that you've been involved in. Again, that might have maybe uh, provoke somebody else to uh, act. Let's say. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the, I mean, the panel talk that Liz mentioned is absolutely amazing, and I applaud her for that, and and Gatch for giving her that platform. I mean, if that's a way people can definitely contribute, is is provide these platforms. But one thing that um, I created was Arquitina, um, and Arquitina is a now a national nonprofit, and started in in April of last year to mentor and guide Latina women in particular on their licensing journey. Because on average, it takes about 12 years for anyone to, to pass the exam. And if we can shorten that journey by providing this critical uh, guidance and strategic mentorship, I mean, so we were structured, we are structured in that we are, we are thir about 30 mentors across seven different states, licensed architects, and what we call professional allies, which are in construction and real estate development and engineering. Um, and we do cohorts, one in the spring and one in the fall. And we take about 10 women who are going through the licensing journey who are maybe are about to quit maybe are just on the fence or just about to finish, but they need that extra push. And so it's an eight week session um, that we do. We are, we just completed our third cohort and we have two licensed architects from, you know, that have participated in these cohorts. So it is a space that was definitely needed and it is growing at a very fast pace. Mm -hmm. And, what came out of that too was was the book Latinas in Architecture, where I was approached by a publisher and said we would really like to tell your story as to why you are less than one percent. What is happening? You know, why are you less than one percent? And this is why we why what we talk about and how we can grow that number. And it's about opening opportunities, being inclusive and equitable in our in our profession. I mean, if you take a look around any of us, when we're at meetings at construction sites in the conference room or in the classroom even, take a look around and see what that demographic is and see, you know, how you can mentor and open doors for, for others and, and help that number grow, specifically for Latino women in the profession. And it, it's growing. And I'm I'm just I'm so excited about it. You can visit our website at architina.org. That's awesome. Um, uh, if you if you're not on Amazon right now, you should be on Amazon, and you should have typed in Latinas in Architecture, and uh, looks like it can be delivered by Wednesday. Um, yes, so. it can. Yeah, and what it does, I mean, this book it, it features 19 stories of different women and 
on their paths as a professional. Some of them are going through their licensing, but we're, I mean, we're, we're moms, we're business owners, we're principals, or we're, or some of them are going through their masters. And it just offers a teeny tiny glimpse of the experience in the profession. We, you know, it's all about architecture, right? We just want to yeah. build buildings for people. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank you, Alicia. Uh, really great stuff there. And uh, again, I just want to thank everybody, Jen, Liz, uh, of course, Alicia. Uh, thank you all for participating today and sharing um, your experiences and some advice uh, to all of our listeners. Uh, of course, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, to this super important um, topic. And hopefully, again, hopefully uh, um, through the stories that these three women have shared, uh, that they've inspired you to act uh, and to, to make you know, maybe a small change um, uh, in, your, uh, in your firm or in, in, the, in the architecture community that you're in. So again, thanks everybody for tuning in. Be sure to join us at our next ARE Live broadcast on Thursday, January 20th, where we'll run through an exercise from one of our virtual workshops with uh, instructor Arissa Yee, and she'll be focusing on the project development and documentation um, lesson. So it's gonna be a really good one. We just posted uh, the, um, uh, the link to register in the chat box here in GoToWebinar, or you can just go to blackspectacles.com slash A-R-E dash L-I-V-E. As I mentioned at the top of the webinar, um, you know, here at Black Spectacles, we help folks uh, pass the licensing exams, and we've launched our A-R-E guarantee. Um, uh, we're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you'll pass the ARE. And if you don't, we'll pay for your retake. So you can go to blackspectacles.com to learn more about that. Um, and also go to the same place to learn um, how you can get your whole firm on a membership as well. The lucky winner of our Black Spectacles t-shirt is Jessica K. Jessica, we're going to reach out to you via email to get your size and shipping information. And just a reminder, if you'd like to be eligible to win a t-shirt, um, post a question or a comment in our uh, ARE community uh, during ARE Live. And you know, one thing I like to always mention is our ARE, commu or our ARE community is always buzzing. Um, it's designed for you. Uh, it's a free resource uh, for folks to ask questions. We have licensed architects who tune in um, on a daily basis to answer questions uh, that folks uh, answer there. So poke around and see what your fellow architects are up to and asking about um, and we even post a free practice quiz question for each division in the community every month. So uh, again, um, trying to provide as many resources as we can to help you guys get past these, uh, these exams. And then finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey and share any suggestions that you may have for ARE Live. I promise we read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for watching. <laughs>